Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We are talking about identity, and we've got a couple more messages left here, uh, and they're going to be very good, so don't miss them. And bring a friend. You don't want to miss what's coming up here in the next couple weeks. So um, one of the things that the Lord's just laid on my heart is for us to talk about our loneliness. And and, and the fact that we all have disappointment. And it's, it's really good for us to get all pumped about, like, God loves me. He'll never forsake me, this Bible says. But what about when it feels like he has? <laughs> right? What about when it's the worst thing that you could have imagined actually happens and, and you had a prophecy or someone told you that's never going to happen or someone laid hands on you and said, you know, you're, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. Like it, you're not going to lose your job. You're going to get a job. You're trying to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. But it doesn't happen. What about when you, you, you thought this ministry calling was going to happen in your life and all this is going to break out and God says, you know, you're going to be cut loose and, and then it doesn't happen. What about when the Bible says your body is supposed to be well and healthy and, and you, you, you're sick. Where is God in all of that? What about when you feel this promise, my kids are gonna serve the Lord, and then they don't? Are you alone? That is the big question, is are you alone? How do you endure? How do we, as believers, survive the disappointment? And does disappointment, does pain, does hardship and suffering, is it equate to being alone? Does it mean I'm abandoned? And this is the thing that the Lord just keeps speaking to me over and over again, is my people believe that they're alone. They think they're alone. People, some of my people believe their pain, their loss, their hurt, their suffering, their hardship means that I've left them. God, where are you? You're not, you're, you're not alone in thinking that, by the way. I'm not alone when I have those kinds of thoughts. Psalm 69.1 says this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. Anybody ever feel like that before? I have come up into deep waters. The floods engulf me, and I am worn out calling for help. This is in the Bible. <laughs> okay. This is David. Anybody relate to David? I'm just worn out, God. I need help, and I'm worn out crying for help and feeling like, has, when is God going to show up? My throat is parched. My eyes fail. That means they run out of tears, right? Looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. That's like about six then, okay. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to see, there is an advantage to being bald. There it is, right there. Those who seek to destroy me, I am 
forced to restore what I did not steal. You, O oh God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Verse 14, rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me. From deep waters, do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depth swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me because of my foes. Why is David praying like this? Because he feels abandoned. He feels that God is not there and he's up to his neck and he's like, it's about to swallow him in. When is the relief coming? And does the pain mean you're abandoned? Does the suffering mean that you're left alone? Because honestly, if, if it does, if because of pain means that God doesn't really love me and that I'm not really his kid and I'm left alone, then that's when we fall into despair and hopelessness, looking at the circumstances saying, these prove that I am too big of a sinner for God to love. This, this sin around me, it proves to me that I'm not worthy of being loved. Something must be wrong with me that God would not come close to me or rescue me. Come on, this is a serious issue. And if we, if we don't have our heart aligned in the right way, we can slip into some serious, serious, deep, dark places. But you're not alone in feeling alone. We've all felt it. And if you haven't felt it yet, you're going to. It's gonna happen, so be prepared. You know, the Apostle Paul, he experienced more trouble than probably you and I ever will. I mean, and he was, he's one of the greatest heroes of the faith of all time. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the most brilliant preacher and scholar probably that walked the face of the planet. And there's some awesome ones on the planet right now. But I don't know anybody that has this record of suffering, shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned, stoned, lost at sea, moved from place to place to place to place, in danger from every demographic, plotted against, attacked. He had to labor and toil for survival. He gone without, went without sleep, hunger, food. He was naked, left cold. And then he had to run in the church. Let me show you, this is what he says, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two. And he gets into this place where he's trying to justify his leadership to the church that he had planted in Corinth because they were being swayed by a bunch of jokers. And so um, he says this, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Verse 24, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's 39, by the way. <laughs> Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times he was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, <laughs> Jews, Gentiles, danger in this city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I've faced the pressures of the church. I got a pastor in the middle of all that. Verse 29, who is weak? And I do not feel weak. And I, well, you're supposed to question that. And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? He's like, I'm a person too. I feel weakness. I, I have to overcome sin. I must, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from being conceited. So Paul goes on and he talks about all these revelations that he had and how God would meet him and all this stuff. And uh, that was for a purpose. It was to set up the, you know, the church and to build the church. But in order to keep him from being conceited, it says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You're like, What? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what Paul learns. This is a message about identity, by the way, okay? You gotta learn who you are. How does someone endure all this kind of suffering? How does someone have a messenger from Satan Always picking on him. Come on. Leave me alone, he says. Three times he's like, I'm going after that stupid thing. And the Lord just goes, hey, 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 hey. There's something more important going on here that is not about your comfort. It isn't about, you know, you being on a perfect ship and having, you know, a throne to do ministry from. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may be resting upon me or may rest on me. Who are you? This is it. Who are you? Suffering, hardship, all of these things are coming. They can come. In fact, I would say the greater the gift that God wants to use in and through you, the more accelerated the growth pattern, the growth process is gonna happen in your life. So get ready. Because there is a pattern, there is a process for growth. And when you understand who you are and who you belong to, you then enjoy that challenge. And it isn't about that challenge anymore. You do not identify yourself, your success, with the difficulty that's coming upon you. But when you're defined by your difficulty, and the pain is what identifies you of whether you are accepted or abandoned, you're in serious trouble. If your circumstances are in your identity, they dictate your identity in any way, you and I, are gonna be blown around like the, the, the waves in the sea. Okay. 
Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships. I delight in. Just think about that for a second. This is not just talk. He believed this. I delight in insults, hardships, persecution, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, what if we could get to living like this? If we could get to living like this, it would shift a lot of things in the way that we, how, how, how we endure or how we carry ourselves in trouble. So many times when pain comes up, it attacks our identity. Oh, if this happened, what's wrong with me? If that happened, who am I? Paul didn't have that perspective. Paul saw, Paul saw something different. So you have to ask, how do you see pain? How do you see pain and suffering? If you skip over this and you just see pain and suffering, it's like, just, oh, it's not that big a deal. You, you haven't suffered hard enough. You haven't had something so hard that it shakes your faith come about. I don't know about you, but if I was shipwrecked when God told me to go somewhere, see, Paul was told, instructed by God, go from here to there. That's how he went everywhere he went. And while he was going, a storm blew up and exploded his ship. And then he finds himself in the open sea for a day and another day, right? A night and a whole day, swimming. I get pruned when I just spend an hour in the tub. I don't even know what it'd be like to spend a whole day out in the open sea. Right? And I, he's got it. Now, I don't know if you've ever been alone with nothing else to do except swim in the open sea. But I'm pretty sure you're going to think about a lot of stuff. Who am I? Oh, God, why would you let this happen to me? What did I do wrong? He's like, I know the story of Jonah, right? But I'm headed to the place I'm supposed to go. Why did my ship explode? That's a pretty good question. Oh, because God is doing something. He is about something with his people. But if we associate hard times and hardships with abandonment, Oh God, my ship exploded when you told me to go that, do this. So God, you're no longer good. If I start to see God as not good because good things don't just happen perfectly all the way around me. And, and, and circumstances aren't always working out. People get sick, people pass away. We lose our jobs. Uh, uh, we, 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 we make mistakes. We sometimes pray and go, okay, I think the Lord said this to me, and we're totally wrong, or we're totally right, and he moves us into suffering on purpose. And that might mess your theology up, but I promise you, I believe he did that to me more than once. <laughs> I'm like going, I swear, we prayed about it, we got confirmation, we got that, 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 and then we go do this, and then it's like, that was hard. He goes, uh-huh. I'm like, oh! So we start to ask, why? Why? 
Why, God, did you lead me into suffering? Okay. Because your pain does not equate abandonment. So if God, you didn't leave me, because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's the truth. Romans 8, live there. If there was one passage you're going to live in for your whole life, it'd be the chapter, Romans chapter 8. Just stay in it. Live in it. Nothing can separate you from his love. So that's the truth. So I can't be abandoned, but why do I feel like the circumstances say that I am? James 1-2. Consider it pure joy. Here's another freak. My brothers and sisters, talking to Christians, that's you and me. You're like, don't talk to me like this. When you face many trials, or trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. I don't want to do this, but there's a reason why we should. Because you know, and if you don't know this, then you can't see pain right. You're not seeing pain right. You're not seeing suffering right. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why does your ship blow up and you gotta spend an open night in the sea? So you'll learn to count it pure joy. Because then when you get to the other side, God rescues you and you survive. There is a finished work if you respond right. Apparently, Paul needed three shipwrecks to get this lesson. I want one. (laughs) Respond right to the finishing work. This is, again, Romans 8, okay? He is predestined you to be in the image of his son. You're going to turn out into his likeness. And that is one of the most important processes happening on the planet. In you is you're becoming like Jesus. And if you and I lose sight of the fact that he's making us into his likeness, and if you think you're, okay, if you think you're in his likeness now, you might be hitting the reefer a little too much. Put it down. I know it's legal. It's not good. All right? Something's wrong in your brain. You're you're not like Jesus right now. You do need some shifting, some changing. All right? He's going to squeeze you through a knot hole to get you to shape like him. It's like one of those big Play-Doh machines. But it's the shape of Jesus on the other end. And he crams you in there and he goes, here it is, shipwreck. I look like Jesus. He's making you into, that means forming you. That causes pressure. The shipwreck is for your good if you'll learn the lesson because he's forming in you his own nature and it's a trust relationship. When, see, you and I are very immature when the circumstances around us just mess us up all the time. And we're just like, oh no, this is another drama day and oh my gosh, this happened and can you believe that happened and oh no, the stock market's gonna blow up. Oh my gosh. Does God really love me? Does he love our nation? Does he forgotten about us? Has he forgotten about everything? And has he left us all here to? No, okay? When we see all the pain and the suffering around us and we equate that to whether we matter and belong to God, we don't understand him and his relationship with us. 
and what he's actually trying to do, which is cause us to be more mature. The more, we, more mature we are, we lack nothing. Do we have to have anything to lack nothing? Just think about it. A fully mature person counts it all joy when they're naked. Paul said he was cold and naked. Uh, I don't know. Usually when I'm naked, I'm cold, okay? Cold, naked, nothing. Shipwreck, swimming, no possessions. Counts it pure joy. That means he's mature. And he lacks nothing, even in the open sea, in his birthday suit. Do you need anything to lack nothing? <laughs> okay, think about that for a little bit longer. James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When you stand the test, you get the crown. Stand the test, you get the crown. The cool thing is when you get to heaven, you get laid at his feet. I want a pile of them to lay there. Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you're persecuted because of your life of righteousness with Jesus, you get the kingdom. Do you want earthly possessions and comfortability right now and everything to feel nice, or do you want the kingdom? It's about perspective. Do you want the kingdom? This is about who you are. And what do you want? Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, then we're heirs. Okay, here we go. If we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his, what? <laughs> we don't want to read that part. We're heirs if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that it has purpose, in order that we may also share in his glory. You suffer and you suffer with a mature attitude, with your identity rooted in the Father. You get the kingdom, you get his glory. But here's the thing. We don't want that bad enough. That's something that gets down here below the iPhone. And for kids, below Fortnite, okay? Sorry, anybody that parents children, this Fortnite thing is driving me crazy. It's a video game, all right, sorry. <laughs> like, no more Fortnite. Anything that we want more and is disrupted and then we have a bad attitude about it because we don't get it, is above Jesus. It's above our desire for his glory. Proves it right there, we're like, oh no, that just makes me so angry and mad, I can't believe I didn't get that thing I wanted. Oh, oh, so you just wanted that more than his glory. Hey, just be honest with yourself. And then be honest with yourself enough to sit alone and go, God, is that what I really, really want? Because if we settle it out in our heart, I think we all really want, whether we're willing to pay the price, 
or let the things go that cause us all this disruption when we lose them. Suffering is when we lose something we really wanted and we thought we had control of or we think we deserve. What if you just want something no one can ever take from you? I can only think of one thing. And that's my relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship with him, I get a relationship with every other believer. But it's in him only. Because in eternity is the only place where that promise is fulfilled that you're never going to leave me. It's all like, hello, it's me. I'll be knocking on your door. It's me. You're like, oh, no, eternity. <laughs> I try to get away from that guy. That's it. Everything else, if you put your hope in, then you lose. You could feel that God has abandoned you. So how do you see your trials? How do you see discipline in your life? Because discipline doesn't feel good, does it? It hurts. I got disciplined when I was young, and it was a little harder than most discipline these days. And I look back on all that discipline fondly. I really do. Proverbs 15, 31. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Whoever heeds it. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. It's my, one of my favorite passages. Hebrews 12, verse 10. <clears throat> they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God's discipline, uh, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, you can experience pain and suffering and hardship and discipline and not learn from it. And you've got to do one shipwreck, two shipwrecks. Rex 3, and you're like, okay, I get it. I want, to, I want to be a fast learner, and I don't want to go, woe is me. God, you're disciplining me. You must hate me. That is not the truth. The, you have to see what discipline really means and why it's in the space of your life. As he's trying, why does he use discipline to make you like him? A lack of discipline is a lack of real love. You have to see this, that the absence of discipline means that you're actually not loved. Someone's not choosing to love you. 1 Kings 1.6, this is David, and this is a remark about David here, as is recorded, now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah, right? Had been born next 
after Absalom, and he was very handsome. Okay, it goes on and on, talk about how disruptive and terrible this kid was. And he goes all around, and all of David's kids were never disciplined because he didn't really love his kids. He just didn't. He didn't prove it. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Not just disciplines them out of anger and rudeness. And sometimes people use this to like justify a lot of evil behaviors. Not true. Not, I mean, that's not good. But careful discipline. God is the most careful discipliner of them all. He's very careful about the way he disciplines you and I. He, sets a, he allows great circumstances to happen to produce uh, discipline in us. When you are disciplined, you know that you're loved. Deuteronomy 8.5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. You're like, you delight in me? That's what this is about? Yeah. You delight, I'm so confused. Pain doesn't feel like delight. Right? We just want whatever we want, but pain keeps us from our flesh. It drives us as a deterrent from the thing that is not good for us. And in that is how we are loved, being made into and shaped into the likeness of God. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Get on the program. Get on board. Be earnest about it. Discipline is a sign that you're a son. Hebrews 12.5, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't make it light. Take it seriously. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises or chastens everyone he accepts as his son, as his kid. When God comes after you and gives you a spanking, you know he loves you. And you go, this is for my own good. But many times we've had bad examples of discipline and we've got to let God realign that and not use bad examples of discipline in our life that did not produce good fruit. Some of it was other people's fear, anger, and bitterness and they're taking it out on other people. That is abuse. That is not discipline. Discipline is done out of love for the person's own good, not selfish gain. Not, I want you to behave and not make me feel bad. That would be unhealthy discipline. That's actually abuse. I'm afraid of what people will think of me because of the way you behave, so I'm going to attack you, basically, right? That's not good. But if I have your best good in mind, which God always does, then I know I'm a real son when I'm being disciplined. You will, this is the opposite of the way it feels. When you feel the discipline and the hardship come, so many times we associate that, associate that with being left opposite. 
if we were never disciplined, we'd truly be illegitimate. We would be abandoned. But because God loves you, and he's in the midst with you in your suffering and your pain, he will meet you there. He will speak to you there. He will minister to you there. But so many times they're saying, God, stop the pain instead of, what are you doing inside of me? A son says, I love the discipline, the hardship, count it all joy when there's suffering and trials of many kinds because it's shaping inside of me, Jesus. It's making me mature. So I look back at suffering and pain and loss and grief differently because I've changed the way that I look at it. I'm on God's program instead of on my own selfish program. Look, here it is, Hebrews 12, 7. Change the way you see. You don't want to be illegitimate. Endure hardship as discipline. This is shifting how you see it. Endure hardship. So many times we see hardship as just this circumstances that are around there that are outside of our control or God is rushing in there to make us have a bad day. It's discipline. It's discipline. Hardship, you have to see it all the same way. The way you look at discipline, you need to look at hardship the same way. And if you separate those things, because so many times we look at discipline for the things we did wrong. But what about the things we need to do right? Discipline also helps shape us, prepare us for the things that we're called to do right. Come on, man. Stay with me. This is such a big deal. If I want to go, uh, uh, like, to war, I better start disciplining my life before I go to battle. I need to learn how to belly crawl. I need to get fit enough to where I can survive and I can run from the bad guy or fight the bad guy. I need to learn how to shoot. I need to learn how to do close combat. I need to learn how to follow orders and direction. Oh, I'm going to get killed. And maybe somebody else is going to die too. But we're a part of a house, a spiritual house that's being formed in the likeness of Jesus. And we're called to go take back the land. Cut some giants' heads off, okay? You're a giant slayer. You're called to be in the army of God. Well, you need to learn how to take orders and direction and look like the sun. And that's going to happen through discipline. But it isn't just discipline because I did something wrong. It's discipline to shape you for the call that he has in your life. Discipline means that you're a son. When hardship comes and you view it as discipline in your life, it, you, you go, I'm not alone. I'm actually not abandoned because of this pain I'm experiencing. This means I'm a son. I belong. I'm a daughter. I'm a kid of the king who's shaping me for a destiny that he predestined before the beginning of time. You are made to be a son and a daughter. You are not alone. Just because you experience hardship does not mean you're alone. Philippians 4.10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
discipline. God, I love your hardship. I love the trials. I count it joy when I see that coming because it makes me know that I'm not abandoned. I'm not alone. And I have your spirit living inside me and I can do all things, even overcome this suffering. I can be shaped into your likeness, Jesus, because of you living inside me. Come on, it's not just get everything you want because Jesus is living inside you. We sometimes hear that scripture and we think, I can get all the things for Christmas I want because Jesus lives inside me. Why in the heck are you cutting me off right now on the road? Right. Something getting in your way between you and your present. This is how we live as Americans. Somebody's in between me and my gift. Get out of my way. And God's all like, oh, Whispers to them in front of you, just put on your brakes a little bit and slow them down. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> and then we get mad. We start cussing. Road rage. And Jesus is like, see? That's not like me. You kind of go like, oh, nobody saw that. Jesus goes, I'm going to bring everything that's in the darkness to the light, even if it means i got to cut off your present. Oh, but do we want the present? We want the wrong present, church. His glory is the present. Being a son and a daughter, you already have it. you got the best gift you could ever get. It's Jesus. It's a relationship with him. You're made a son and a daughter. You're not alone. Your suffering does not identify you as an abandoned child, an orphan. There's something in your spirit that is crying out that understands that you know and you're made and you belong. It's Romans 8, 15. The spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 5 to redeem those under the law, that we might receive an adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent his spirit as a uh, spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit that calls out Abba, Father. We see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, when he says, God, will you let this cup pass before me? He puts his eyes on the Father and he says, not my will, Abba, Daddy God, but your will be done. And this is the secret to the sauce, church. Get your eyes on the, your daddy God, not on your pain. Your pain is part of the process. Suffering is part of the process. Glory is the goal. Sonship, belonging, being a daughter, that's the goal. And guess what? You've got that. You've won. If you choose Jesus, you've won. You have it all. That's why no one can take it from you. And you can have nothing in this life and Nothing in this life, but lack nothing. You have everything because you're a son and you're a daughter. How do you see your pain? Your pain does not signify that you're abandoned. Rather, it signifies you belong. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, today is the best day. All you have to do is choose Jesus and you'll be made right and in his image and become a son, a daughter of the king. Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? If you're here and you say, 
Pastor, I'm ready. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I just want to pray. Right where you're sitting in your seat, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. Just slip your hand up. I'd love to pray with you. It'll only take a moment. Anybody here, Jesus, I want to receive you. Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, I want to give my life to you today. I want to pray. Just slip your hand up if you're here. Anybody else? Let's pray. Pray this with me. Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you're God, and I'm asking you to come and save me. Forgive me of my sin. Deliver me today. I love you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. We hope to see you soon.